There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. And be sure to add our podcast, Ye Old Crime, with an E in old, in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. The Oracle Network. And welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. How's it going? I am tired. Same. So I have a funny correction this week. Uh-oh. <laughs> so last week, after our interview with Paul, which mm-hmm. once again, thank you, Paul. Yeah, thank you, Paul. That was a great episode. It was. I said, for my good thing, that it was something about work, which who the hell says that besides <laughs> you because you started a new job and you really like your job. Yeah. And I realized after we stopped recording that my good thing was actually that I got to go to Ikea. And <laughs> <laughs> Ikea is my favorite place in the world, which I realize is a weird thing for someone to say. Mm-hmm. But I feel like a lot of people can understand that. I just love going places where I can like visualize what my house could be if someone else did all the interior decorating for me. Mm -hmm. And it's very soothing for some reason. So Mm -hmm. I just like going there. You can kind of like mix and match. Yeah. You go into this living room and then this living room. Yeah. Anyway, enough about Ikea and my love for it. You could sponsor us Ikea. That'd be weird, but it'd be cool. That'd be pretty cool. Be very left field, but welcomed nonetheless. I'll talk about you however however long you want. Warmly welcome. So it is our birthday month. As you may have noticed from our social shares recently, Maddie had her birthday. On Thursday. Mm -hmm. And it was very fun. It was fun. So as is tradition, I let her pick the topics for this month. And I forget about them and stay surprised. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, well, she has promptly forgotten. Yes. (laughs) so this week's episode as picked by maddie is about the great stink of 1858 oh yeah it just sounded really funny (laughs) it's gonna be a wild ride the great stink so information for this episode was pulled from the following sources a 2017 all that's interesting article by john karoski a 2016 the guardian article by emily mann the cdc website Ooh. Cholera and the Thames by Joanna oh, no. Lemon, 
Gustavus Adolphus College student site by Jessica Reichert, Historic England, Historic UK article by Miriam Bibby, the Joliet Public Schools article by Allison Friedman, and Wikipedia. So as you can see, I used a lot of student written papers, which is mm -hmm. interesting. And it was fun because they were very I educational did. and they did all the research for me. Yeah. And they have to do good research, too, to get a good grade. Yep. And links to all these articles will be included in the show notes. Yay. So when you think of London, you probably think of old stately buildings, green parks and people everywhere. Right. Yeah. And rats and smells. And diseases. Well, not now. I mean. Well, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope yeah. there wouldn't be rats and smells now. Well, I mean, there probably is a little. But not like as common. No. So, well, let's travel back in time to the summer of 1858, where everything is pretty much the same except for one thing. It fucking stank. I bet it would. Like, just in general. Yeah. We'll get into it. Okay. So for years, the residents of London have been dumping pretty much anything and everything into the Thames River. Okay. Mostly human shit. Fun. Mm-hmm. So the stink, which had been present for as long as people were basically shitting in the river, mm -hmm. was somewhat manageable until July and August of 1858, which was the hottest summer on record at that time. That would do it. Yep. That would, that would do it. For example, in June of 1858, the temperatures in the shade in London averaged around 34 to 36 degrees Celsius, which would be between 93 and 97 degrees Fahrenheit. In the shade. In the shade. But in the sun, those temperatures rose to 48 degrees Celsius or 118 degrees Ooh. Fahrenheit. Yeah, that'll do it. The heat was so bad that it was essentially evaporating what water remained and cooking the excrement, dead animals, the occasional murder victim, industrial waste, both chemical and organic, such as from slaughterhouses, mm -hmm. and whatever else had been thrown into the Thames, which caused everything to ferment and release a stench so awful it could curdle your stomach and make your eyes water. I bet. But it wasn't just the fact that it stunk like nothing else. The water of the Thames was also essentially poison. Yeah, it would be if it was reduced like that. An article in the June 26, 1858 edition of the Illustrated London News had this to say, quote, We can colonize the remotest ends of the earth. We can conquer India. We can pay the interest of the most enormous debt ever contracted. We can spread our name and our fame and our fruitifying wealth to every part of the world, but we cannot clean the River Thames, end quote. Yeah, that would be frustrating. People began to recognize that there was a problem with the city's water source by the 1600s, so about 200 years earlier. Okay. But because no clear idea had been identified to address the issue, the residents continued to use it not only as a source of drinking water, but also as a convenient dumping ground for things that needed to disappear. Oh, no. Yeah. You, so would, oh, I would think that you'd have to be in a pretty low place to go to the River Thames for drinking water at that point. I mean, most of the people did, but it 
like I said, it was the main water source because it went yeah. right through London. Oh, man. So since the early 1800s, tens of thousands of Londoners had died from drinking water from the river. That makes sense. So essentially, how was London going to solve the problem of their overabundance of shit and where to put it? Mm -hmm. Up until the early 1800s, the waste disposal system in London was pretty simple and straightforward. Most homes and boarding houses had bathrooms that were basically wooden boxes with a hole that led down to a six foot deep by four foot wide or 1.8 meters deep by 1.2 meters wide cesspool. Essentially an old timey porta potty that could also yep. be a death box if you happen to be inside it when the buildup of methane gases became too much and occasionally exploded. Fun. Oh, God. I didn't even think about that. Once the pits were full, a person known as a night soil man oh, would no. come by and shovel the waste out of the cesspool to sell it to farmers as fertilizer. Huh. Okay. They lovingly referred to excrement as night soil since it would get hauled away in the dead of night when the stench wouldn't bother anyone but the poor schmuck who had to shovel and haul it away. Yeah, that makes sense. So this system began to change with the turn of the century. As industrialization swept the country, many were abandoning farm life to work at factories in the city. In fact, between 1800 and 1850, in the span of just 50 years, London's population exploded making it the biggest city in the world that boasted over 2 million people. That's ridiculous. As you can imagine, when the supply far outweighs the demand, there starts mm -hmm. to be a problem. A little bit. A little bit of a problem, yeah. There was so much night soil that needed to be collected and not nearly enough farmers willing to purchase it, which meant that the uncollected waste would often find its way onto the streets of the capital, Yep. Or into the neighboring waterways. Yep. In an effort to prevent this from happening, people began to empty their cesspools directly into the city's sewers. I mean, admirable thing, but yeah. not controlled. <laughs> Fun fact. The sewers in London were never designed to combat human waste. They were designed to siphon rainwater from the streets of London into the Thames to prevent flooding. Oh, no. To add insult to injury, as it were, this fancy new invention called the flush toilet was rapidly gaining popularity in London after the Great Exhibition in 1851. Even though the pull of a chain and whoosh of water would make your ones and twos magically disappear, these first iterations of the modern day toilet used a lot of water which caused yeah. the common cesspools to overflow, which I imagine is like that scene from Dogma with the Golgothan. Oh. Essentially just a swappy mess of shit. Fun. To avoid this, the industrious people of London began diverting their toilets so that they went directly into the sewers, which then went into the river. Mm -hmm. It didn't take long for the water in the river to turn muddy, thick, and foul with the stench of human excrement. Yeah. And by the time the hottest summer in recorded history struck, well, the shit really hit the fan. Yeah, literally. Literally. In 1855, so three years prior, Michael Faraday, the British physicist and chemist, was quoted in a letter to the Times as describing the Thames as, quote, an opaque pale brown fluid, 
surely the river ought not to be allowed to become a fermenting sewer, end quote. Especially since people are drinking and dying. Yes. He continued, quote, near the bridges, the feculents rolled up in clouds so dense that they were visible at the surface. Jesus. The whole oh river was for the time a real sewer, end quote. You could see the gas. You could see the gas rising from the water. Oh, my God. By 1856, so the year, the next year, London had 200,000 cesspits and 360 sewers. They also had wooden water pipes to transport water throughout the city. These wooden, wooden ones were eventually replaced with iron in 1858. There we go. I was like, the wood would definitely absorb that. Yes. Even before 1858, the people of London were used to bad smells. The factories coughed up clouds of soot that would darken the sky. Horses that transported people and goods alike left behind piles of shit that just mixed in with the garbage and old food that already littered the streets. Not only that, but whole families would cram into the tiniest of living spaces in this overcrowded city, meaning nowhere was safe from the smell of sweat or shit. Well, bathing practices weren't as consistent either at the time. And there was a lot of hard labor. Yeah. Well, and if your water supply is full of shit, even if you take a bath, you're going to smell like shit. Well, and your clothes, too. What are you going to wash your clothes in? Yeah. That being said, the smell that emerged that summer would cause people walking the streets to pass out. And others who lived and worked miles away would become physically ill after just catching a whiff of the overwhelming stench. God, it's awful. So now there's not only poop in the river, there's vomit everywhere, too. Yeah. Oh, God. How long did this go on? We'll get into it. Okay. Those unlucky enough to work for the newly built House of Parliament at Westminster, whose offices were right next to the north side of the river, would soak their curtains in chloride of lime in an effort to eliminate the oh, smell. Oh, no. And yeah. they were, oh, and now they exposed themselves to lime. Even so, they would often flee the building with tears streaming down their faces from the seemingly unending stench. In fact, they also attempted to eradicate the smell by pouring chalk lime, chloride of lime, and carbolic acid directly into the water. Oh, no. Between 250 long tons, or 220 to 280 short tons, near the mouths of the sewers, and the men were employed to spread lime on the shores of the Thames during low tide. And it did nothing. Yeah, I bet. In June of 1858, the city press newspaper stated, quote, Gentility of speech is at an end. It stinks. And whoso once inhales the stink can never forget it and can count himself lucky if he lives to remember it. End quote. Jeez, that's so awful. The Times reported, quote, The intense heat had driven our legislators from those portions of their buildings which overlook the river. A few members, indeed, bent upon investigating the matter to its very depth, ventured into the library, but they were instantaneously driven to retreat, each man with a handkerchief to his nose, end quote. <laughs> the people of London weren't just disgusted by the overwhelming odor, they actually feared it. At that time in history, many people believed that diseases, like pandemic-esque diseases, 
could be transmitted from inhaling unclean air by what is known as the miasma theory. This outdated medical theory was the belief that deadly diseases such as the plague and even non-lethal diseases like chlamydia were caused by inhaling bad air or night air from decomposing organic matter. Interesting theory. Yeah. And in 1858, one of the most feared diseases of the time was cholera. Mm -hmm. For those who recognize the term but are unfamiliar with the illness itself, cholera is a bacterial infection that causes the infected to become violently ill by attacking their digestive system. Mm -hmm. Anyone diagnosed with cholera is likely to die within two to three days if untreated. And at this time in history, there was no treatment for it. Of course not. Nicknamed the Blue Death, cholera is typically contracted by ingesting contaminated food or water. Symptoms of the disease include leg cramps, vomiting, and diarrhea. So really fun, super quick death. Yeah. So it's very similar to dysentery. Yeah. So you you wouldn't actually die from being ill. You die from being dehydrated as a result of being ill so much. Yeah, that makes sense. You just lose all the water in your body. Yeah. Between 1831 and 1854, London experienced three cholera epidemics that took the lives of over 30,000 people. Wow. 6,000 in 1831 to 1832, 14,000 in 1848 to 1849, and 10,000 in 1853 to 1854. The residents of the city feared that the great stink was going to be the cause of a fourth. Yeah, that would, I mean, I would fear that too. It's just never ending. Yeah. What many people of that time didn't understand was that the disease wasn't transmitted by breathing in the putrid air. It was from drinking the water. Yeah, directly ingesting it. Yep. And unfortunately for many of the people, the Thames was their main water supply, Mm -hmm. which meant that every day they were essentially taking their own lives in their hands just by drinking water. That's crazy. Edwin Chadwick published a paper in 1842 called, quote, Reports on the Sanitary Condition of the Laboring Population, end quote, in which he noted that in Glasgow alone, 50% of children would never reach their fifth birthday, as it was, quote, possibly the filthiest and unhealthiest of British towns, end quote. Jeez. Half the kids. Half of them. Like, oh. In 1848, The first victim of the second wave of the cholera outbreak in London was an unemployed day laborer named John Murphy, who lived on Lower Forest Street in Lambeth. Lambeth, which was close to the waterfront, was an example of one of the worst areas of the city to live in at the time. Okay. Those who lived there resided in damp, cheap houses that didn't have indoor plumbing or standpipes. This meant that all of their drinking water came from the Thames. The Times received a letter from the people of the capital slums in 1848 that read, quote, We live in muck and filth. We ain'ts got not privies, no dustbins, no water supplies, and no drain or sewer in the whole place. If the cholera comes, Lord help us, end quote. During this wave of cholera, so this is the second wave, the residents of Lambeth and other waterfront neighborhoods suffered the most having no other access to clean drinking water. Over 1,500 Lambeth residents lost their lives, many dying within 12 hours of contracting the disease. I mean, at least the 
mercy, I guess, is that it was a quick death. Yeah, at least it didn't linger for three days. Yeah. A physician named Dr. John Snow, unfortunately, yeah. no. John Snow. You know nothing, John Snow. <laughs> this man did appear to know something. Okay. Investigated the spread of cholera, specifically in the Soho area. He hypothesized that the disease was being spread through contaminated water, not by inhaling foul air. So he removed the handle of the local water pump to test his theory. This test prevented the Soho residents from drinking the water, and after the handle's removal, the number of cholera-related deaths in the neighborhood began to steadily decline. Hmm. In 1849, Dr. Snow published a paper called, quote, On the Mode of Communication of Cholera, end quote, where he proposed that cholera was in fact a waterborne illness, not an airborne one. Unfortunately for the good doctor... Oh, no. The people of London seemed to think of him much as our modern day Jon Snow because they acted as if he knew nothing and went on <laughs> believing that it was the smell that would make them sick, not the water they were drinking. Perfect. He actually died in 1858 during the height of the Great Stink. Oh, no. One of the most recognized supporters of sanitation reform was Michael Faraday, who I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. He firmly believed the whole river needed to be addressed. And in fact, he took a boat ride along the river in order to compose a letter that he sent to the editor of the Times newspaper. The letter, entitled, quote, Observations on the Filth of the Thames, end quote, was so well received by the public that they basically repurposed it as their rallying cry for change. Interesting. Within his letter, he noted, quote, if we neglect this subject, we cannot expect to do so with impunity, nor ought we to be surprised if, ere many years are over, a hot season give us sad proof of the folly of our carelessness, end quote. He's not wrong. Thanks to a combination of pressure from the public, not to mention from the nose, members of parliament <sighs> quickly determined that something needed to be done and fast to prevent not just another epidemic from starting, but to halt the spread of the stink. Yep. Benjamin Disraeli, Tory leader in the Commons and Chancellor of the Exeter? Exeter, probably. Probably. Decried how, quote, that noble river, end quote, had been reduced to, quote, a Stygian pool reeking with ineffable and unbearable horror, end quote, as a result of which he introduced legislation, quote, for the purification of the Thames and the main drainage of the metropolis, end quote. So basically a complete overhaul of the sewer system. Yeah, that should have been the first thought, but yep. sure, novel idea. <laughs> right. A law was quickly passed that ordered the construction of a new and more effective sewer system that would carry the waste out of the city, away from where people lived, and keep it far from the Thames. And when I say quickly, I mean quickly. It was debated in late July and passed into law on August 2nd, 1858, after just 18 days. Good. This needs to happen fast. Yeah. The law allowed the groundbreaking, literally, chief engineer of the Metropolitan Board of Works, Joseph Bazalgette, to oversee the construction of 1,100 miles, or 1,800 kilometers, of street sewers, that would replace the interconnecting 82 miles, or 132 kilometers, of main sewers. The new sewer lines would divert sewage to the east, away from the city, allowing it to flow towards the ocean. Which, eh, but... Not the best, but it's uh, something that'll work right now. Yep. Part of this construction project required the building of embankments along the larger sections of the Thames in central London 
specifically what would be known as the Victoria, Chelsea, and Albert embankments. These would not only hide the new sewer system, but also serve the dual purpose of acting as a flood defense. Nice benefit. Mm -hmm. This process angered a number of people because it meant that many homes, warehouses, and businesses would lose their riverfront boat access. I get that, but do you want to like die or just lose your boat access? Yeah. Well, inconvenient for some, for others, it costs people their businesses and livelihoods. Mm, yeah. In some areas of the riverfront, whole communities ended up being demolished in order to build these embankments. Not great. I mean, yeah, it's not great, but it's better than the alternative. Well, it's better than losing half the, ch- the child population. Yeah, it's better than the current mortality rate by living there. Yeah. Another part of the process included the creation of pumping stations, which were built at Chelsea, Deptford, Abbey Mills, and Crossness. These would remove the waste from the city, specifically from various neighborhoods around the metropolis, and help divert them through the different tunnel systems away from central London. They're basically like giant toilets. Okay. Okay. So they would like fill up, and then once they got full, then they would like push everything through the pipes. So it's not just like constantly running and clogging and stuff. Okay. Fair. Funnily enough, they were built in a style that was very reminiscent of churches. So take that how you will. (laughs) Okay. Interesting. Maybe they just wanted to make them pretty and that's what they thought of. You know, it's pretty. (laughs) Cathedrals and churches. I just thought it was like, oh, look at that beautiful cathedral. Nope, it's just full of shit. (laughs) It's just full of shit. Rife with it. The station at Crossness has four huge beam engines to help pump the large amount of sewage that are named Victoria. Prince Consort, Albert Edward, and Alexandra. Oh, no. When the station opened in April of 1865, the Prince of Wales, King Edward VII, started Mm -hmm. the engines. The construction of the sewers ended up replacing 150 miles, or 241 kilometers, of old sewers and constructed 1,000 miles, or 1,609 kilometers, of new tunnels. That's a lot. Yeah. This process required the laying of 318 million bricks and the pouring of 670,000 cubic meters of concrete. Nothing to shake a stick at. It also helped increase wages for bricklayers who were in short supply and secured them a raise from five to six shillings a day, which was about 18 pounds a day as of 2017. Okay. So not great, but like more than what they normally would have made. Yep. When all was said and done, Parliament had approved Sir Bazalgette's plan to the tune of two and a half million pounds or 318 billion pounds today. And seven years later, the new system officially opened in 1865 after an additional 1.2 million pounds or 154 billion pounds today was added to the budget to complete the project. Wow. The final cost was around 6.5 million pounds or 835 billion pounds today. The embankment projects that I mentioned earlier wouldn't be completed until 1875. So how? Which makes sense because they're like right on the riverfront. Yeah. So how long is that from the beginning of the big stink? It's about 17 years. Oh, man. But the bulk of the great stink only lasted those two months in the summer, so July and August. Okay. 
The final cholera epidemic to hit London struck in 1866 and specifically hit a neighborhood in the east end of London that hadn't yet had their sewer lines connected to the rest of the new system. Okay. So it was most likely caused by their poor system. Yeah. That was a year after the system officially opened. Okay. Thanks to Sir Bazalgette and the reluctant members of Parliament, their quick thinking and innovative sewage disposal systems kickstarted a movement that overhauled sanitation practices in London, generated life-enhancing advancements in urban planning, and drastically improved public health. That's awesome. The infrastructure of the new sewer system was a plan to account for a 50% population growth which was smart considering the population of London doubled again within 30 years of the system's completion in 1895. Yeah, even though it's a shitty town, yeah, people still like it. Fun fact, today the Thames became one of the world's cleanest rivers, but unfortunately the then innovative sewer system is now starting to show signs of its age with the continued growth in London's population. That makes sense. Gross fact, fatbergs, which are hardened deposits of cooking fat, oil, hair, condoms, wipes, and other non-decomposing items that congeal Mm -hmm. in the sewers, have started to clog the London sewer systems. Awesome. The largest one to date was discovered in 2019 in Liverpool, and the 84-meter mass was longer than a passenger plane and weighed 90 tons, which is about the same as 13 African elephants. That's disgusting. Hopefully, the planned renovations for the Thames Tideway Tunnel that are set to complete by 2023 will prevent a great stink number two, unintended. Yep. And that is the history of the Great Stink of 1858. That was horrifying. Thank you. You're welcome. I hated it. <laughs> Thank you for picking it. Nothing but poop. Nothing but mm. poop. My name is Andrew Dodge. I have spent the last 11 years getting to know some of America's most notorious criminals, such as serial killers, spree killers, mass murderers, domestic and foreign terrorists, and many more types of criminals. Unforbidden Truth will bring you exclusive interviews with convicted criminals, professionals in the mental health and law enforcement field, and much more. Subscribe to Unforbidden Truth on any podcast platform to join me on a -a one-of-a-kind true crime experience. This week's podcast plug is the Unforbidden Truth podcast by Andrew Dodge. Nice. Each week, he interviews convicted criminals and murderers, as well as criminal justice and psychology professionals. Andrew has been corresponding with convicted criminals for over a decade. Every episode is around 30 minutes or less. So it's a very bingeable show if you like hearing stories straight from the horse's mouth, as it were. Yeah. And we'll have a link to his show in the show notes. Sounds awesome. And this week's listener question comes from the Cynic's Guide to Disney podcast. And they want to know, which one of you is most likely to murder someone? Ooh. (laughs) Probably me. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the motivation. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. It depends on the circumstances surrounding why you would murder somebody. Like for me, it'd be if someone did something to my kids, I would definitely murder them. I was just going to say mama bear. I would definitely murder them. Yeah. And I'm not talking like some kid bullying my kid. Like that's extreme. Right. But if someone did something to like physically hurt my kid or like threaten them with physical violence or something really bad, I definitely murder them. 
I get that. Would happily do so. Yeah, but now that's out of the way. What's something good you'd like to share <laughs> this week? <laughs> uh, something good was it was my birthday, and I got to see you and my partner, and we had just a little baby celebration, and it was really fun. It was fun. You got to sit on a saddle. That part, you know, I could have left, but <laughs> didn't want to sit on the saddle, but it's fine. Yeah. It was all in good fun. It wasn't good fun. And it was good food. It was really good food. I'm excited. I still have some of that salad left. I ate my leftovers last night and they were delightful. The papers really enhanced the steak. So nice. Thank your partner for letting me take them. I will. I'm glad he was a picky eater. Oh, he's always a picky eater. <laughs> he's going to listen to this and text me like three months later and be like, no, I'm not. <laughs> He'll be like, what is this about? I am not a picky eater. What? Where is this coming from? I don't remember saying that. Tell your sister that I'm not a picky eater. Right. I think my something good is that I survived my first in-person conference in several Almost years. two years. Yeah. Like two years, probably at least. Pre-pandemic. Like I'm in a job where I don't attend a whole lot of conferences. And usually the mm-hmm. ones that I do attend are already digital. Like they're yep. like a webinar or something like that. So this is the first in-person one that I've attended in, God, like five years, something like that. Yeah. It was kind of a lot. Like I bet it would be. Yeah. And it was in Minneapolis. And, you know, the mayor Mm -hmm. of Minneapolis, for those that don't know, has reenacted the mask mandate, um, regardless of your vaccination status. Mm -hmm. So everyone who attended had to wear a mask unless you were eating or drinking, obviously. So I felt a little bit better about it, but it was still, you know, kind of weird to be around so many people but the conference itself was really great like i took so many notes that it like agitated my carpal tunnel (laughs) (laughs) in my (laughs) dominant hand yeah but it was all really great information for people that don't know i'm a i do digital marketing and it was the digital marketing type summit so lots of good information that i can take back to the office and hopefully be able to implement some of it nice to sort of improve our processes and things like that. Make your life easier. Make my life easier. There you go. I'm thankful I survived that. Yeah, me too. Shall we? We shall. You can find us online at eelcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at eelcrimepod and on Instagram at eelcrimepodcast. We are on YouTube. If you'd like to subscribe, we put up new episodes whenever our normal podcast episodes come up. Mm -hmm. As I've mentioned in the past, we do have a couple different playlists. So if you are all about the Victorian slang episodes, and that's all you want to listen to. We have a playlist just for that. We also mm-hmm. have a playlist that has all of our episodes, including the bonus ones in chronological order. Nice. We also have a P.O. box if you'd like to mm-hmm. write us or send us something. Trampoline. We're not demanding that you send us something contrary to Maddie's repeated. No, that's exactly what I'm demanding. <laughs> <laughs> you, have, you have until the end of August to comply. <laughs> or else. Or nothing will happen. Yeah. Still. Yeah. There's no, there's no consequence. (laughs) That's my, that's my non-threatening threat. (laughs) Slash appeal for a trampoline. Yeah, please. (laughs) I want one. And you can write us at Yield Crime Podcast, PO Box 341, Wyoming, Minnesota, 55092. You can also email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. You can send us your questions, which please send us your questions. Yeah, we love them. 
You can also submit episode requests if you stumbled mm-hmm. upon something that fits within, you know, the cases we cover, which are sure. pre-1900. And you're like, I'd love to hear more about this. Shoot us an email. Yeah. And we'll add it to the list if it fits the criteria, mm-hmm. which chances are it will. Yeah. We've already incorporated some already and are yep. planning for others. Yep. A great way to support the show if you'd like to help out but can't do so financially, which we totally get, mm-hmm. is to leave a five-star rating and review. You can do that on Apple Podcast, Podchaser. You can leave episode-specific reviews on Podbean and Good Pods. And I think RevPod is a new one. Here is a five-star review that we received on Apple Podcast from Kim C413. Okay. And she says, interesting stories. These sisters do a great job of presenting unusual stories and having so much fun doing it. You find yourself laughing along. Subscribe! Two exclamation points. Oh, thanks. If you're able to support us financially and would like to do so, you can do it on Buy Me a Coffee by leaving a one-time donation in any amount. If you'd like a little something back for your buck, you can join our Patreon for as low mm-hmm. as a dollar a month. You can join fellow patrons such as Aaron, Kara, and our newest patron, Julene. Hello, Julene. Thank you. You can also support us by repping our merch, which mm-hmm. why wouldn't you want to do that? I mean, our birthday ones are pretty awesome. Not going to lie. Yeah. So we, as we mentioned in the past, are releasing new designs every week, the month of August. Mm-hmm. There will be a sale next week. But don't miss out on this week's new design, which you'll be able to get for 35% off the first two days that it's live. So I will release it as of the publication of this episode. So you'll have until the end of the day, Friday, to purchase the new design for 35% off. Cool. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale. As old as crime.